Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hello and welcome to the Money Nerds podcast, where owning a calculator, budgeting your money, and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host, Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show. Tell me if this sounds familiar. You graduate college, you went and got the first job that offered you any type of income. You're like, yes, I can finally get off that college student salary and finally start making a little bit of cash. So you took the job, you're working in the job for a few months and you realize you've made a mistake. This is not the right job for you. And what do we do? We desperately apply for another job. We take the next job that just offers us more income or a different type of position and we kind of repeat the cycle over and over and over again. I don't know if this is true for just me, but that is exactly what I went through when I was going through the job process. It was very unintentional. It felt a little bit haphazard. And it was something where I started to learn that there has to be a better way to approach our careers when it's something that we spend so much time working in. It's worth taking a little extra effort to start to become a little bit more intentional and thoughtful with the jobs that we take. And that's why I was so excited to chat with today's guest, Dr. Candace Steele Flippin. Dr. Candace Steele Flippin is a global communications expert, multi-generational workplace scholar, TEDx speaker, and best-selling author. Our March 8th of 2022, Dr. Candace released her third book, Get Your Career in Shape. The cool thing about this book is it really does follow her successful 2020 TEDx talk and encourages and educates women across all ages, experience levels, and socioeconomic backgrounds how to perform and succeed in their chosen career paths. In her downtime, she collects works from emerging visual artists and enjoys traveling with her family. This episode is so good. If you've been considering a career shift or you just haven't even went through the process of seeing is this the right career path for you or how you can optimize this, here's what we're going to talk about. We talk about Dr. Candice's work and research about how younger generations can accelerate career development, the barriers that exist that have historically and currently held women back, Candice's research and writings about self-efficacy, different ways that the pandemic affected specifically women, important differences between generations. I think this is so interesting, but we talk about how those differences show up in our values five steps to take to get your career in shape. So we go through the five-step framework. Why a strong financial foundation is so important for your career goals. She has a really powerful story that shares her experience with uh, financial mishaps and what that led her to. Tips on receiving feedback in a constructive way. I think this is one of the key pieces for anyone's career. It's can we take feedback 
that is not necessarily meant to be rude or hurtful, but how do we interpret that in a constructive way and start to, I guess, decipher too between negative feedback and constructive feedback. And so I think this is a really, really good point. We have this conversation towards the end of the episode. And then we wrap up the conversation with questions to ask yourself after you have found a career. I really enjoyed this episode. I think it's very timely. I know there's a lot of layoffs going on. I know that there's a lot of career shifts. So I think that you are really going to enjoy it. And I hope that you took away as much as I did. All right, let's go ahead and turn the mic over to Dr. Candace Stillflippin. Hey, do you need a financial coach? If so, let's work together. As a coach, I help you get structure around your finances, visualize your ideal life, whatever that looks like for you, and more importantly, put together a strategy to help you get there. A lot of people hire me because they want to pay off debt faster and more efficiently and boost up their savings or increase their credit score, and those are all awesome goals. Financial coaching just helps you because I hold you accountable the entire way. Yeah, for better or worse, we're kind of like we're married. So if you want to take the podcast concepts that you're learning here and apply those to your life with my help, then you need to apply for coaching at WhitneyHanson.com slash customized dash coaching. Once again, that's WhitneyHanson.com slash customized dash coaching. I am so stoked to work with you and help you reach your financial goals. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. I am so excited to be joined by Dr. Candace Steele Flippin. Candace, thank you so much for hanging out. Oh, Whitney, thank you. Glad to be here. I'm so stoked to have you on the show. So tell us a little bit about what you do for a living. Well, I actually have two roles. My primary role is I'm an executive at an industrial technology company based here in Atlanta. And since 2016, I've been a researcher assigned to the Weatherhead School of Management, where I received my doctorate in management. And I research and speak and write about how women, Gen Z, Millennial, and Gen X can accelerate our career development. What got you into that line of work? Interestingly, math. So it turns out in the year 2030, baby boomers, the youngest ones, will be retirement eligible. Now, not everyone will retire when they return when they turn 65. Some will retire later, some earlier, but on mass the youngest baby boomers will be retirement eligible, which means that large generation group will provide lots of opportunities for others. And so there's some scholars who think that it will be a great time to accelerate women who historically hadn't accelerated at those leadership roles and younger generations and others. And so I sat on this journey to help millions of women accelerate their career growth. And so I started researching barriers. I love that. And from your research, were there a couple that you identified as being the most common? The most common in terms of the things that that um, keep us back. Well, let me before I go into my research, let's talk about what we know. Yeah, there are certain things that exist structurally that have held women back, such as bias, mm-hmm. glass ceiling. Some women make the great decision to stop working to raise their family. Other women may find themselves in careers or roles traditionally held by others, and so they just can't break that barrier. So there are all these structural reasons why women are held back. However, I'm an optimist, and I said to myself, well, are there other things that, even with those barriers, that women can do to break through? And it turns out it's something we do to ourselves. 
Mm-hmm. And it's called having low self-efficacy. Now, self-efficacy is different than confidence. And let me give you a classic example that people talk about. It's actually two. So the first is, have you ever known someone, maybe it's yourself, who saw a job opportunity? Maybe it's something new or a promotion. And you look at the job opportunity and you're so excited. And then you start seeing things you don't have. Yep. The classic example is a woman will look at it and look at maybe there are 10 requirements and she'll mm-hmm. go, yep, one, two, three, all the way down. This. And then she starts, thank God, well, I don't have number seven, eight, nine, or 10. Yeah. A man may look at it, have none of the requirements and still move forward and apply yeah, for the job. That's so crazy. <laughs> and so on the flip side, have you ever done something in life, whatever it is, and you turn to someone and you say, I'm going to do X, Y, Z. And they're like, you, you mm-hmm. can't do that, but you go and do it anyway. And you're successful. Yeah. That's another example. So in the first one, it's when women have self-efficacy that holds them back. The other is so self-efficacy being high, moving you forward. So what's self-efficacy? It's your belief that if you try something, you'll be successful. Mm. Self-confidence, self-confidence and just your, your belief, just your belief in yourself. Self-efficacy is your belief that you'll be successful if you try something, a task, anything. And if you have high self-efficacy, then your belief that you'll try something to be successful is high. So you'll try anything because you have a track record or a mindset that lets you believe that if you try, you'll be successful. But if you have a mindset that makes you feel like, hmm, this job needs five years experience. I have four years, 363 days. Can't do it. Then you won't try. And so I started to explore what women do to boost their self-efficacy. And that was the basis of my TEDx talk and my new book, so that if women do these five things, they have a better chance of boosting their ability to believe they'll be successful, to take a risk, to then move their current state to a more desired state. Is this something that you have always been a pretty high self-efficacy or is this something that you are teaching on this because it was the lesson you had to learn? What was the the inspiration for you? Oh yeah. I was, I was definitely someone who had to learn self-efficacy. Me too. And let me tell you, and let me tell you, there are things I didn't even realize about self-efficacy that was holding me back. And it's a surprise to a lot of people for for reasons that I would say are not through no fault of our own in most cases, because we don't always connect the dots. Mm. And it's that lack of awareness that has held me back. And in my book, I talk about how I was a financial black sheep and had no idea that my poor decisions in my youth, I consider myself young, but in my (laughs) earlier youth, um, was actually damaging my ability to move my career forward. I didn't connect the dots. And women historically have other things that we've done that we just don't connect the dots in terms of how they can play out in the long term. The good news is the first step is just being aware of them and then taking action. I love that too. I think that's, it always comes down to awareness. I don't know what it is, but we have to become aware of our, our faults. How do, how do we become aware? I know that's even maybe a silly question, but I think some people don't even have the I don't want to say capacity, have the natural inclination to look at their life and be observant. So how do we even begin to see how we're showing up maybe in the workplace specifically? 
I believe you have to have what's known as a growth mindset. So there's what's known as a fixed mindset. That means that, you know, things are the way they are. That's just the way it is. If you ever use that expression, oh, we've tried it before. It doesn't work. Like, it, you know, things are fixed. They are immovable. Someone told you maybe when you were in the second or third grade, you're no good at math. Okay, I'm no good at math. And you just never try, you know, so mm-hmm. it's just like things are fixed. A growth mindset is one where you think anything is possible. Things are not fixed. I believe that I can try something. I can find ways. I can figure it out. I can address this opportunity issue, whatever it is. So you have a growth mindset. I, you know, who I am today does not dictate who I will be tomorrow. And so I think the first is surviving a, a growth mindset, so that when information comes your way, you're going to receive it. Mm, that's huge. You know? So first is having a growth mindset. The, the other part, I think, is just being curious. And when I say curious, it doesn't mean not being appreciative of where you are or um, doesn't mean that you have to accept or challenge your current situation. It just means, you know, when you have those moments to think about your career, thinking about what might be next for you. That and... Being curious doesn't mean you have to change. It doesn't mean you're unhappy. It just means that exploring other opportunities so that you don't miss out. It's kind of like if you've ever had an opportunity in your life to try something new and you're like, wow, who knew? And yeah, was this days many days old when I learned this? Wow, I wish (laughs) I'd known this sooner. Or turn to a friend and they give you some good advice. You're like, why didn't you tell me this sooner? So it's just, it's just, it's just staying curious. And then doing things like listening to this podcast to expand your horizons of what you might know. And if you find something interesting, you know, following up on it. I think that's really good advice. And I appreciate you sharing that. I also love the advice you gave in your book. And I got to ask, I'm always so fascinated with the book writing process. When you wrote your book, how long did it take you? Was this like a total imposter syndrome thing? Like, how was that process for you? Gosh, so... It took much, it took twice as long as I intended it. It took almost four years. And that's because I I started with my TEDx talk. So I did the mm-hmm. research in 2020, 2019. And then the TEDx talk was in February of 2020, released in March of 2020. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so the shape concept was there. And then we were in the pandemic. And so I immediately thought I was going to write the book. But as I started writing the book using my framework, it became very clear to me in August of 2020, based on what I was seeing and reading, that women were most severely impacted by COVID. Mm-hmm. There were a number of researchers who were saying that we'll never make up the ground that we had at the beginning of the pandemic. And so my publisher and I were talking about it, and I went and did another study in January of 2021. And at that time, we thought COVID would be over. <laughs> Yeah. Wishful thinking. (laughs) And what I was really wanting to understand is had attitudes and values changed during the pandemic. So that added time to the first study. So Mm. by the time I, by the time the book published in 2022, I had done another study and I think made the book stronger because I had additional in the moment experiences of women and stories um, and insights from women going through the pandemic. What were some of the notable things that stood out to you? 
Um, so I guess there were, there were multiple spectrums. The, the first part of it was just the overall frustration that women were having. So, and I put some of the verbatims in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so women were, there, there was a group of women, and, and by now I have thousands of insights, over 2,000. Um, there were women who were struggling because they just were overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Um, they had, some of them had lost their jobs and some of them lost their jobs in communities where it wasn't so easy, even as a central worker to go and find another role. So there was that frustration. There were women who were millennials who were just felt, who felt trapped. They had parents, they had their households, they had their children. It was too much, but yet they still wanted to have a career. Um, there's a section where I go through all these different ways women can just be. And women were feeling like, I just don't know what to do. Women were struggling with how to take care of themselves. Yeah. And so a lot of that was coming out. But the, And then on the other side, um, I, I asked the question in the research, what are some of the things that women are told or given advice on that really isn't helpful? And oh my gosh. Women <laughs> I bet that was like, so good. <laughs> Like normally when you do research, you'll see like a few words or maybe a sentence. They're like paragraphs. <laughs> like, let me tell you. <laughs> right? so At great. one point, I had to like go through and make sure they weren't like cutting and pasting other people's stuff. But they, so, <laughs> so I felt like it was good. And then the other thing is, you know, after I did this, after I did the study, I had a section at the end just basically saying, now that you've taken the study, you know, what what insights or advice would you offer? And so many women said, just by asking me these questions, I feel like I've kind of changed my life just even going through this process. Oh, and so, so that cool. that was so um, gratifying to me to know that this information and this body of work is useful. Because as you know, one of my early mentors told me that this research was a waste of time. It's, Which is yeah. so typical, I think is like, um, God, I feel like it, maybe I'm projecting here possibly, but I feel like women tend to get told that so much more versus like men, if they come and they pitch an idea of, Hey, I think this would be a really cool book, or I think this is a cool idea. Um, this research would be awesome. Yeah. You should run with it. But for women, it seems to be, Oh, Hmm. I don't know about that. It just seems like the language is different. Yeah. And hence why women tend to have lower self-efficacy, have more doubt of trying something. So it is something that is part of how women are raised and acculturated. And I I thought it was so interesting. And Mike, so you talk about imposter syndrome. I don't think I had imposter syndrome. I think I had a little bit of like extreme disappointment. I guess you can't have a little bit of extreme disappointment. I had extreme disappointment. I was hurt and I was angry because here was a woman who studied um, self-efficacy and study um, advancement of women telling me that my body of work to do that as a young researcher was a waste of time. And, and maybe because she was a baby boomer, but, and the fact that we were looking at it from a generational perspective was a waste of time. And I thought it was really interesting, even though this was many years ago, that someone who had lived over the past 15 years couldn't see that generational values are different. <laughs> right. Like, what the heck? It's so bizarre to me. And we should talk about it that way because 
life stage matters and generational theory just says when and where you were born and what was happening historically shapes what's important to you and what you value. That's why someone who is a Gen Z born after, you know, born 1996, 1997, who came into a fully technological world, who has information available at his or her Mm -hmm. fingertips, has all kinds of technology, uh, is going to look and value time and information and transparency very differently than someone who's a baby boomer. So true. Who grew up having to wait for information. TV went off. Like all that, they only had maybe what, six channels? Like, like, you know. (laughs) For real, right? This is different. And so I, 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 and so, for me, it was just like so frustrating. And at the same time, I have this 2030 clock in front of me, right? Mm-hmm. Knowing that every year we get closer to 2030 is another year where we have to get more women ready. Yeah. Like, and, and so it's like this. And so it was just, I don't know if there's anyone listening who ever had something where you felt passionate about that you just needed to move forward. And in your, like in your gut, you were like, this is important and meaningful. And someone who you respect is like, "Hmm, not really waste of time. And so I just moved forward with it. And I'm so glad I did. Good for you. I think that's a really inspirational message too, is sometimes you're going to get those naysayers and they're going to come from people that are mentors and help you. And (laughs) You got to yes. just follow your own path. 100%. I want to talk about your book. So getting okay. your career in shape. So that's the title. Tell me, why did you choose that as the title? Two reasons. The, the first reason why is um, I, I was thinking about a call to action. Yeah. And um, true story. This book was supposed to come out in January of 2022. But as we all know, as we've been living through the pandemic, there are all these supply chain shortages and there was a shortage of paper. (laughs) Oh, shoot. And so it got pushed back. So initially it was around January, get your career in shape, call to action. It all kind of came together. Yeah, totally. I was so clever with my publisher and then reality struck. So it it ended up coming out March 8th, which was International Women's Day. So it was great. So that oh, was one. So it was, so it was just kind of me trying to be clever. But then it was interesting as I was going through the research, thousands of data points, and I'm looking for themes and the five highest themes came up and it was these letters. And so I'm looking, I'm looking at the themes and I'm thinking the letters. I'm thinking, okay, so I have a P, I have an E, I have a, and I'm just moving them around. I love it. So it could be memorable and then shape emerge. Now, I'm sure some of you are listening and saying, wait a minute, there are other words that you can use with those five letters. I looked at those two. Shapes seem to make sense. And it's, <laughs> and actually, now that I've done it, I think when you say to people, you know, it's time to get your career in shape, they're like, oh, let me think about that. So it works really well. I think it's perfect. I really do. And I always love like the stories behind names. I just find it so fascinating. So you've identified five different steps that we can take. Yep to start to get into the career path that's right for us, feel good about it, and actually be financially successful with this too. Do you mind if yes. we go through the steps, the five of them first, and we can maybe go into detail on each? Yeah. So the first is save, and that's around um, making sure that you have a strong financial foundation. Amen. The second one is, co- yes, amen to that. Um, the second one is hard work. Um that's really about being aligned with the person who evaluates you. 
The third is called advocate, and that's being the best representative for what you need and what you want. The fourth is persevere. And so that's really making sure that you have a good system and techniques to be able to navigate the high points and the low points. And then the fifth is educate. And that's really about being a lifelong learner. Ooh, I love these. Out of all of these different steps, was there one that you personally struggled with more than others? Oh, save, 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 save. Tell us more. So um, the first thing I want to say to all the listeners is that I have recovered. I feel that I'm really good with saving. That was not the, that was not my story in my twenties and early thirties. Um, I just, I just didn't save. I was, I, you know, I, 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 I would say I purposely probably lived from paycheck to paycheck. There were a number of times when my friends would have these interventions for me. They're like, what are you doing? Like, it was just like, a, it was a whole lifestyle with me. There was this show called, um, Sex in the City, and there's a character, Carrie, and she's trying to buy a house, and she needs, I think, her down payment. I can't remember what it is, and she doesn't have the money, and she has to borrow it, and she can't figure out, like, why does she have money for a down payment? And then she looks over at her closet and all her, like, Manolos and all that kind of stuff. Like, <laughs> yep. Oh, that's what I don't have. So it was like, it was a lifestyle for me. I was just, oh, I'll get a check tomorrow, and I was just spending, and um, what I realized was that those poor choices impacted me in many ways. The first was most painful. I was engaged. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, oh, we'll get married. We'll combine our incomes. And then I didn't have a plan B. And when my fiance was unfortunately killed in a car accident, I had to face the fact like, wow, your whole plan was like a two-person plan. Totally. Like, you didn't have a one-person plan. And so that was a derailer. The second was... Um, I had gotten better at saving, but I was an episodic saver, meaning I would set my my sights on a goal. I would save to that goal, but I didn't have any type of other plan. And the challenge with that was when emergencies would happen, I, I was stuck. Yeah. The good thing is, oh, I want to buy a house. So for two years, like I, I like saved to get into that house. But then I found myself in a situation where I had a career opportunity that was amazing. But that opportunity paid a little less, like $5,000 less than what I was making. And um, I couldn't take it because because my living was so tight that even though who knows what would have happened to me today had those years ago that happened. And so I had to sit down and really start putting some good systems in place for me. And I don't think I'm alone in that. I meet lots of women who, you know, I was in my 20 or twenties, late, late twenties when that happened, but I meet women now who don't have really good retirement savings and they're in their forties and fifties. And let me just say this, no matter where you are, it's never too late to start. So if you haven't done something, forgive yourself, give yourself grace, and then move forward. I've also, um, I've also have women who say, oh, I don't like math. So I'm not even going to think about it, or I'm just going to leave it there. And like, yes. you just don't take any of those steps. And then you get surprised. And so, but here's the thing about not having money and, and career self-efficacy. Women in the United States, 
Uh, and more than half the households are the primary breadwinner in their household. And if they're not a primary breadwinner, they're a significant contributor to their household. Completely. And so if you don't have a strong financial foundation, you will not take a risk because the stakes are too high if you fail. If you're the primary source and you don't have a strong financial foundation, you're not going to leave your safe job, even if you hate it, because you have to feed your family. That's right. Or if you're a significant contributor, maybe you're paying for private school or daycare or whatever it is. So if you have a strong financial foundation, you will take a risk. The other reason why having a strong foundation in place is it changes your attitude about how you show up at work, your mindset in terms of, because if you know that you have the option to choose something else because you can afford it, how you show up and your confidence and self-efficacy in the job is different because it's like, now I'm choosing to be here as opposed to, I have to stay because there's nowhere else I can go. It is so true. I remember I was in kind of a not so great work situation back in my my late 20s. <clears throat> and I remember this whole process. I was going to work every single day and there's just normal workplace pettiness, you know, that we all have to deal with sometimes. But that when I didn't have my finances in order, felt so much heavier. And when I actually did have my finances in order, I, it could roll off of me a lot easier. I just remember I had a totally different attitude shift. And so I, I like that you mentioned that, that. I think that's something that is kind of intangible that we don't often think about. 100%. So when you, I remember, so I went from being negative, mm-hmm. as many women are, and it's okay if you're there. And when I mean negative, I mean like, you know didn't have any money in the bank, but owed more to getting to one month of my savings, two months, three months. And I just kept going, going, oh, going. So cool. And and then when I got to over a year and, the, and then more like it, just the stress level totally. of my life went down. And let me tell you, when I started saving and making that commitment for myself, I wasn't making, I didn't have a six figure income. Oh, that is so but, good to hear. I, I mean, I, um, the very first thing I did was I decided to, okay, make sure I can put money into my retirement. And the first way I did it easiest is that year I got a raise. And so I said, okay, I'm just going to take my raise and use that money and, and use it to go into my retirement. Mm -hmm. So I won't feel myself retiring and I'll get the benefit. And then I just, started paying bills, the ones that were the the most highest interest rate type bills, Mm -hmm. I paid those off. And I just started going through, going through, going through. Now, I also think I visited my friends more. I'm sure at some point they will remind me of this. But instead of, oh, let's meet at the bar. I'm like, oh, just come over to your house. (laughs) Oh, I love this though. Was that a hard shift for you? No, I was on a mission. (laughs) (laughs) I was focused. (laughs) I do. I do recall. um, I went to visit one of my girlfriends, and her husband was in the kitchen. And they're like, "Okay, why is Candy over here again?" And I just (laughs) pretended like I didn't hear that. (laughs) You're like, "Hey, you're gonna feed me? It's great. Let's do this." (laughs) Like, I'm like, "You guys are married. I'm single." Like in the time, but but, yeah, I, I guess my my biggest point is. I did not come 
I didn't come from a place where it was easy to make these decisions and changes. I I came from behind. I had multiple times where having those habits blunted my ability to move forward in ways that I wanted to. Mm -hmm. And I sat down and just said, okay, I'm just going to do one step at a time. I didn't start and say, oh, tomorrow I'm going to have three months savings. It took me a long time to do that. But what I did is I just tried every week and and I started really small. Like I started by saying, okay, the next raise I get, I'm going to put that in my retirement. So I didn't change anything. And then once I started seeing that, I said, okay, I'm going to start small. I'm going to take something away and I'm going to add something. So the one thing I took away is, okay, instead of going out for happy hour, which is a good thing to do because it relieves stress, no matter if you just have an adult beverage or water, whatever, no judging. I said, instead of doing it Friday and Saturday and then brunch on Sunday, I'm going to do brunch, you know, twice a month instead of every, oh, so I just yeah. started doing small things. And then as an, as it started to build up, I started feeling really good. And mm-hmm. if you've never, now there's some people who say, well, I have, I, I can stop working today. Great. But if you're someone who's at that tipping point between zero months to one month or three months or six or to that year, every time you get a little bit higher, it feels so great. It's so true. It just feels so great. And so I just wrote that wave. And so if you're, if you're at one stage trying to get to the next, I just want to encourage you to go for it. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that portion of your story too. I know that's, I can't even imagine having to navigate all of the things that you did and then still try to find a positive attitude and all that. I probably would be in my bed crying to this day. I'd be like, dang it. Like I'm I'm tired of this. (laughs) Like it would be rough. (laughs) Well, listen, you know, I'm here to tell the story. It was not easy going through it. And and here's some things I talk about in my book that I think would have made it easier. Mm. What would have made it easier is if I had talked about it. Interesting. Like now it's easy. So now it's easy. You know, my friends, you know, we talk about, you know, if we hear about certain types of um, financial opportunities, we talk about them. I, I, I was having brunch, which is back in my life now, but brunch with one of my mentees just this past Sunday. And she said to me, and I did what you said. And I'm like, what? And she goes, you know, and I'm really happy about it. And I said, what did I tell you? She says, you know, two years ago, I had this extra money, but I needed to keep it to access. And you told me to find a high interest bearing savings account to put it in so that you can still get a higher year than keeping it in my checking account, but I can tap into it when I need it. And she said, I'm so glad because I was thinking about doing that or putting it into some type of um, stock. And that stock is doing really poorly, but my high interest bearing savings account is doing great. Now, I have no recollection of that story, but the point is I regularly talk to people about when I hear of things mm-hmm. or she came to me and say, what can I do now? I am not a financial advisor. I'm a workplace scholar. But the point is just in my casual relationships, if we hear of things, we share them. And I wish back then I had talked to someone to say, gosh, where do I start? Yep. Where were you, Whitney? Where were you back then? <laughs> I know, right? Well, I was probably trying to figure my stuff out too. <laughs> <laughs> right. But the, so that's that's one thing that women do. I think the other thing too is I would just say, give yourself grace. Mm-hmm. No one's so perfect. No. We have things that happen to us in our life that have to, that cause us to course correct. And so, and that's just part of life, right? You know, as Zanya Van Zandt said, there's value in the valley. 
And so I wouldn't begrudge you if you're at a low point right now or you're midpoint or maybe you're headed down or maybe you've finally gotten up. What I would encourage you to do is when you have a moment, have a plan B. And the best way to have a plan B first is just to stop and think about, okay, here's where I am today. Where do I want to be in three months? What are some of the choices that I can make that moves me closer to there? Even if I can't get all the way there, Mm-hmm. what can get in the way and what can I do about it? And who can I go talk to about it? That's so smart. Because I think a lot of us go through these, these financial challenges alone. You could go to an advisor if you're part of a credit union or a bank, you know, you could go and just talk to someone and say, you know, there's someone I can talk to who can kind of help me make better choices um, about, or make informed choices about my current situation to help me move to a different one. I completely agree with that. So that's helping us with the first step. And then the second step is the hard work piece. Okay. Let's talk about this. This is a hard one. (laughs) No one's going to tell you, including myself, that you should not work hard. But here's the thing about hard work that no one ever talks about. It's subjective. Totally is. Yes. And where women fall down is we will work hard, but we forget that the beauty of hard work is in the eye of the beholder your manager. And if you're not aligned with that person, you can end up being surprised or disappointed. And so I always say the most important thing about hard work is just being aligned with the person who's evaluating you, not waiting until the, your, your year-end evaluation or even your quarterly check-ins, but to get that feedback along the way and make sure you're asking questions. Does this meet the expectation? I can't tell you how many times throughout my career or even in my research over the past seven years, women are surprised when they don't get the raise or the promotion because they put in the extra hours. And sometimes that's looked at, oh, you know, you're just not effective workers. That's why you're working hours overtime, but people are not impressed. Or... Or they're just, they just don't get, they don't ask for the feedback and they assume. I've been surprised in my career thinking I've been doing something great and then only to find out, no, we didn't like that. I'm like, oh my God, well, why didn't you tell me? And they're like, why didn't you ask? And so I just <laughs> say, like my <laughs> I know, chicken or egg. And so I just, I just encourage women to make sure that you are on the same page as the person who's evaluating you. I had a woman who reported to me one time and she was great but she was spending way too much time on the wrong things. And I think it was because she had so low self-efficacy. So she wanted to prove how hard she was working. And so all we required was two pages. She would come with these 24, you know, 20 plus page documents. Oh and, man. And no one was going to read, not required, but she wanted to prove oh, that she yeah. was working. And all I could see and all her peers could see is how much time she was wasting. We were not aligned. I'm not saying that those 20 pages weren't valuable, but I didn't have time to read it, nor did anyone else mm-hmm. when I needed her to spend that extra time doing something else. And so sometimes you can think that you're doing something amazing, but if it's not aligned with what your boss needs, and I've been there myself, it's really important that you do that. Ooh-hoo. Okay. So as somebody who is a leader in the workplace too, when you come to somebody and you give them feedback as somebody receiving that feedback, Mm -hmm. that can be a little painful sometimes. Do you have any tips on how to accept that feedback and maybe not internalize it if we're already struggling with a lower efficacy? 
That's a great question. So the first I would say is if you believe that your manager is coming from a good place, have a growth mindset and be open to the feedback. Some people say feedback is a gift. And so if you have a manager who's giving you feedback, I think that's a good thing because a lot of managers don't. And in my research, I find that that can be a derailer for people. So if someone's going to give you the feedback, be open to the feedback. And the first thing to do is to say, thank you for the feedback. I appreciate the feedback because that what because what you're doing there is you're acknowledging that, yes, this person is giving you feedback. And then if you feel that that feedback is constructive, then repeat it back. So what you're telling me, Candace, is this Mm -hmm. and then demonstrate what you're going to do with that feedback. Now that you've told me X, I'm going to go do Y. And then what I like to recommend is then to follow up and to say, and, and I'll give you a status update on it. And then I recommend that you keep the lines of communication open. Thank you for giving me this feedback. I really appreciate it. I value that you take time to do it. If you have other areas of opportunities for me, I'd love to hear it. Oh, and that's so, I think so good. Now, the other part of it is it's easy for me to say that, but no one likes to hear something that's not great. I mean, it's just hard. And so you got to kind of get your poker face ready and then have someone in your corner that you can go talk to to say, okay, Whitney, I just talked to my boss and she told me that that 20 page report I worked on all weekend, which is great, is really not necessary. And and she only wants two pages. And I spent all week, I couldn't meet you for brunch or or happy hour that you just sit in your corner and just kind of listen <laughs> yeah. to say okay and and help you unpack it so that you feel good about it because I you know I'm human I have feelings for sure <laughs> and so I'm not saying to for anyone to negate their feelings but just have a surrounded which takes me to you know to 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 um to advocate so that yeah, you know you can you can then go back now if you think the feedback is not correct then you could also say, let me provide you with another point of view. Here's why I did it. Is there middle ground? Mm-hmm. And so, so you want to make sure that you're speaking up for yourself. And speaking up is also important and valuable because if women don't advocate for ourselves, not only do we miss out in getting opportunity, it also has a financial impact. We already know, and the number slides every time I see it, we already know women don't make as much as men. Now, a lot of pay equity has happened and so things are better. But on average, women can make, depending on age, race, socioeconomic group, 55 to 80 cents on a dollar to what a man makes. So if you're not a good advocate for yourself for opportunity or know how to negotiate well for yourself, you can lose out on minimally $1 million to $1.5 million of lifetime well, that's crazy. One to $1.5 million of lifetime wealth just by not negotiating well for career opportunities, pay, promotion, advancement. Now, that's I don't huge. know about you, Whitney. But, you know, that's meaningful. That's yeah, meaningful. that's game changing. That's a lot of people's entire retirement. Like, that's a lot of freaking money. And so, being able to advocate for yourself is important. And if that's difficult for you, find someone you can practice with. Start mm-hmm. small. 
I, I believe that sometimes people get inundated with advice because it seems that you have to like be expert from day one, but it can start as small as just saying no. And if no is hard for you to say, you know what? I just don't have the bandwidth. Yep. Wish I could, don't have the bandwidth. Yep. Oh, you don't have I to go that. with, oh, because I need, you could just say, gosh, wish I could, don't have the bandwidth. Like the end, stop. <laughs> Someone wants to give you that. This sounds great. I wish I had the bandwidth. Just don't have the capacity. Yeah. God, I feel and like we just over explain it though. Yeah. Um, I've been in play, there have been times when I've been like, you know, this is great. I can do this if you give me this. I'm going to need your support to do, mm-hmm. especially if you're a manager. And some people say, well, I went to my manager. My manager said they couldn't give me any more support. You have to challenge it. I, I remember early in my career just being overworked in a project. And we always want to be successful and help people out. And um, my manager said, just do it for three months for me. I'm like, okay, I can do this for three, three more months. I did it for three months. And she goes, I just need three more months. But at this point, I'm thinking, now we're nine months into it. Yeah. I was like, I can't. She goes, I need you to do it. I said, I cannot. She goes, I just need you to do it. And I decided at that point, it wasn't worth it for me to go nine months of low sleep. Just I was just exhausted. And so I made an appointment with her boss. And I just said, I love working here. And I have, I've, tr- I've been a team player. I've been one for the past six months. I am at capacity. I cannot, I, I can't, I don't, I can't, there's no place for me to go except for out of the company. Mm-hmm. I'm coming to you because I need your help. She goes, oh, we'll have a meeting. We'll get back to you in a couple of weeks. And I said, oh, no, no, no. What I need for you to know is that by the time I get back to my desk, you're calling me to say it's solved. I'm saying tomorrow, my life is going to be different here. I can't go back. That's awesome. Because the impact on me is too high. And she looked at me and I said, yep. Now my boss was not happy that I did that, but I felt that my boss had six months to help. And did not. Yeah. And what I realized is that sometimes bosses are overwhelmed in day themselves. And so you have to advocate for yourself. That's my point. Now, Guess what made that decision easy? I had savings. You had that. We call that the FU money. <laughs> yeah, it makes a difference. And they fixed it. So let's move on to um, persevere. There are always going to be highs and lows in our careers. Just like savings, we do that in silence. We also sometimes suffer in silence. And here's the difference. If you have someone who really loves you, who's a part of your family unit or your partner, they love you. Sometimes they're not the best to help you navigate your career because they're protecting you. And their focus is always on your health and well-being and happiness. And so sometimes they're not the most objective when giving you advice as you navigate your career. So true. And so what I recommend is that you Look for opportunities, whether it's a mentor, a sponsor, a f- good friend, a work colleague. Some people say work wife, work partner. Mm-hmm. Um, you're part of a, a professional organization, but have someone who's a peer, who is someone who doesn't necessarily love you only as the person. Some people hire coaches 
to help you navigate the highs and lows. Do not suffer in silence and do not feel shame. Even if you make a mistake, everyone makes mistakes. You can recover from them. I feel that if we know that there are going to be these lows in our, in our careers, prepare for them by having frameworks and processes in place. Like I tease people and I say, there's a famous brand of ice cream where I live that I love to eat. And whenever like I, I find myself going there, my husband's like, oh, you're under stress. It's like a comfort place. <laughs> <He> knows. <laughs> Um, so I like that's my trigger. I'm like, okay, now I've got to exercise more. I'm not gonna give up my comfort, but I'm gonna balance it with something healthy. And so sometimes when we're under stress, we start picking up health habits that are not healthy. Mm-hmm. And that's why you just it's really important not to do it alone. Because and the thing is they're also gonna be high. You gotta have people around you to celebrate those wins. So true. take those moments of grace to appreciate what you've accomplished. And then the final one is E, and that's education. And that's really committing to be a lifelong learner. Here's how um, that impacts our self-efficacy. Not everyone who goes to college for a certain degree or field of study ends up doing that throughout their career. So at some point, either you start it or you will have interest in something else. Yep. If you are a lifelong learner, constantly reading, listening to podcasts, doing other things to expand your knowledge, when you have to do something new, you have increased your self-efficacy because you're always taking in new knowledge. So trying something new isn't as hard for you because that's a muscle you're always exercising. So if today you're doing one thing and tomorrow you want to do something else, you're like, okay, I guess I have to go learn this too. The other thing about being around educate is also being self-aware. So taking time to take different types of assessments so that you understand how others are perceiving you. That's a good idea. Do you have any favorites? Um, You know, I I don't particularly have a favorite. It just really depends on what your goals are. So, you know, you know, people say, you know, MBTI, Berkman, Finders. I mean, they're all great. It just depends on what, you know, what, you, you know, EQI, what, what your goals are. That's fair. The point, the point is just to, is to keep an open mind. I've taken them all and I use them for different things, but it depends on where you are in your career. But the key is um, there's how much you love and adore yourself. <laughs> And there's how you're showing up to others. Oh man, the discrepancies. You know, it's because, and the thing about it is we respond one way when things are great. We also respond another way when we're under stress. It'd be nice to have that input so that you know how to moderate, mediate your behavior. So you're so that your intent, you know, is being perceived the way you want it to. I love that so much. Dr. Candace, this has been such a fun conversation. It, I think everybody needs to get a copy of your book because it goes into a lot more detail on each of these steps and is very tangible. When you're going through each of them, you can start to do some reflection and see, all right, here's the areas I can improve. So I just want to congratulate you on writing you. the book and thank you for putting it out into the world. This is awesome. Thank and you. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. I just have one last bit of advice for your listeners. Please. As you're navigating your career, lots of opportunities are going to come your way. Lots of choices will be in front of you. As you're thinking about your career, ask yourself these three questions. Do you have the career you need? Does your career provide you with the time, the the money, the resources? 
to give you what you need? Do you have the career you want? Is it matching your passion, your purpose, what you went to school for your interest? And the third question is, do you have the career you deserve? Have you ticked the boxes that you were told that you had to tick? Is your compensation matching your contribution? Are you getting the respect and access that you feel you have earned? If the answer to any of those questions is no, then it's time to get your career in shape. Dr. Candice, you are such a rock star. I have learned a ton from you, and I'm so grateful for your time. Before we officially part ways, are you down for some more fun, casual, rapid-fire questions? Absolutely. Let's do it. Okay. Where is one location you're dying to travel to? Singapore. My sister's gone. I think my brother's gone. I have yet to make it there. And I hear it's an amazing city. And so I'd love to check it out. And I have, um, I just met someone at a conference recently who's there and he's like, you've got to come. So I'm looking forward to getting to Singapore. Oh, fun. Okay. This is maybe a weird one, but what's one purchase you recently made that has made your life better? Oh my gosh. Okay. So this is a really girl thing. I'm ready for it. <laughs> I bought this makeup case. So in my kit, in my bathroom, I have a very small space mm-hmm. to get ready in the morning. And, you know, I have my products. It's a small case. It's, it's a small space. And so I, I went on Amazon. I bought this stackable makeup case. I just got it last week. And so I put all my makeup in there. And so when I get dressed in where I just open it up, it's like probably probably three feet tall, but everything's in there and it's not smooth off. And so then when I'm done getting dressed, I just or put, made up, I put it back and put it away. And so it's made my life better because it's all organized. It's not me scrambling to the door. Like, where's the blush or brush? Where's my mascara? Yes. Like, it's all in this case and it's put away. And I share my bathroom with my husband. And so he doesn't have to see like my whirling dervish of getting dressed in the morning. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so that's made my, that's one thing I purchased that's made my life better. Shoot, I need to buy that too. And it saves me time in the morning because it makes me more organized. I love it so much. And we've been been together 17 years and I just did that last week. Oh, I love that. Yeah, okay, well, good tip. I will definitely go pick that up because I have that same issue. (laughs) It's, It's a problem. My next question for you, aside from your own book, what is one book you find yourself gifting most often? Um. Gosh, that's a good one. So, I have, there's actually two books that are written by friends of mine. So one is You Are Enough by Charlene Willis. And it tells a story of her childhood and her rise from probably poverty up to being a corporate executive, her journey with breast cancer and her realizing how you are enough. And then I have another book that a friend of mine wrote um, her name is Jasmine Brett Springer, and she has a book called um, Carpe Diem. It's a kind of seize the day, and it really kind of walks through these different thoughts and actions that you can do to remember to, to embrace the moment. And so I tend to gift those because when women are talking to me, they're, they're, they're really kind of going through, how do I get to the next level? There's a lot of self-doubt. Mm-hmm. And I think that these two books really reinforce that, you know what, you are enough. And, you know, you have to make the moment of every day. 
That's Ooh. a great question. Thank you for that. It gives me a great. chance to spread the love for people I adore. Oh, I appreciate that too. My final rapid fire for you is in your opinion, what is the secret to financial success? Building your financial literacy. When you believe when you build your financial literacy, you you go the extra mile to understand what you're signing. You take control of your finances. You understand what's important to you and you take steps to make sure that you've set yourself up to have a plan B, a plan C, so that you can navigate your destiny. And when you have those crucial moments, uh, you can navigate them with grace because you've been prepared. I love it. That was such a beautiful answer. Dr. Candace Steele Flippin, thank you so much for your time. It was such a pleasure. Thank you. Okay. What'd you think? What were your takeaways? I really enjoyed the tip on constructive feedback and how we should actually be asking for feedback and not being defensive or letting that hurt us. I think this is such a good skill and it really does show a lot of emotional maturity, which is hard to develop when it feels like people are maybe putting us down or we're not used to constructive feedback. I think this is one of the key pieces that I really learned and I would love to hear from you. Take a screenshot of this, tag me on Instagram. I'm at Whitney underscore Hanson underscore co and come say hi. Let me know what your takeaways were. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you're having a great week and I will see you next week for another episode of the money nerds podcast. Bye. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.